You're listening to the Racking Focus Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Racking Focus Podcast. I'm Josiah Blizzard. And I'm John Doyle. And uh, today we are going to be talking about Oscar-nominated film, The Sound of Metal. Yeah, it's from Amazon, and uh, really, it's about a heavy metal drummer whose life is thrown into a free fall when he begins to lose his hearing. And uh, what did you what did you think of the movie, John? But, so that's like a cheap, easy way to start. But I I love the film. I just uh, ask you that every time. Really. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I loved it completely. Yeah, uh, it's not a perfect movie, but I I, I thought it was great, a, a great watch. Yeah, I I mean, I. I really, really enjoyed this film, and I was, I was sitting down here on this couch, the same couch we're sitting on right now, recording, and just completely invested in the characters, and man, the feeling of, I like, I felt like what it would have been like to lose your hearing, you know, watching this movie. I could feel the fear, I could feel the uncertainty of what's going to happen. Um, I could feel. By the way, there's spoilers happening in this All episode, right, we say. so yeah. that's that's going to happen. Uh, maybe we approach this first from a non-spoiler perspective, and then we go into some spoilers later on. What do you want to do? Uh, we can try. I don't know if there's a way to effectively to, to avoid that yeah. to avoid the spoilers because they're integral to this. It's one of those films where if you talk about it, you're giving stuff away. Yeah, we can say up front that it's a film worth watching, and you should go watch it, then come back and listen. That's true. Yeah. That's fair. Let do that. If you're listening and you don't want this film spoiled for you, which it shouldn't be, go right. watch it. It's two hours. You can catch it on Amazon, on Amazon Prime, and uh, it's definitely worth your time. So, pause, come back, and join us for the conversation. But, um, yeah, I, I could feel everything that that you know our main character was going through, and Ruben was, I mean, coming from a, you know, a, a I don't know this. This story, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> there's a lot, there's to, a talk lot to talk about. Um, so where do you want to start? So why don't we first just begin with the uh, sort of the elephant in the room, and that's deafness. Let's just start and talk about sound and deafness, yeah, and blast through that, and then we can go. This film is like there's an actor conversation to have. There's a filmmaking conversation about sound mm -hmm. there's a conversation about filmmaking overall let's start with sound and deafness and, sound and, and deafness the sound design was incredible uh just incredible uh the the directors and and sound didn't just play a role as far as like um what does it potentially sound like in the person's head mm-hmm but there are moments when it would match with camera and it would cut to perspective. And so sound was a lot about perspective and not just what it was like in the person's head. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. There's, there's multiple moments where we'd be on, uh, you know, in a, a close-up of Ruben, whether it's in the airstream when he's playing drums and he can't hear very well, or when he's walking around France and he's trying to, he's speaking into an intercom and he, you can't even understand what people are saying to him mm -hmm. through the intercom. And then all of a sudden it cuts from a close up 
kind of floating shaky camera out to a wide static shot of the moment from an onlooker's perspective. And we are all of a sudden back to hearing normally. And it's a powerful, jarring cut, but it's also reflecting that, in a sense, that stillness that is talked about in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, the and, and the stillness you have when you were able to hear, like just because that's just normal. That's just normal right. for you. Yeah, well, and it's that it's the thing that is part of his problem, and so the film slams it mm-hmm. into you over and over again that mm-hmm. this is what is missing. This is the missing thing for him. Yeah, because for him, it's what's missing, right? Yeah. So the film we're in his POV to some extent, mm-hmm. like it's we're living through his story. In we're fully film. in his perspective the right. entire film. But that doesn't. But the sound doesn't sit in that perspective right it moves back out to what i guess you could say like a third person person, or god's eye yeah like a narrator's perspective right a narrator's so that we understand the context for what he's not experiencing yeah we need the contrast right right yeah and because he cares about that contrast Mm -hmm. like it's not just oh audience here's how sad it is that he's deaf no Mm -hmm. it's much more like this guy can't grasp what deaf what it means to be deaf and doesn't understand, like his head's not in the right space. Yeah. And so he's aware of this missing piece or he's, because of what he's doing, he's not getting this missing piece. And yeah. and we see the distinction and the contrast. Yeah, it was a very smart use of camera, smart use of sound design. Mm-hmm. Um, and the overall conversation about deafness is, I mean, this film has almost given me a little bit of an education on the deaf community and what it's like and how they treat it and all that stuff because i mean i'm in a i'm i mean i'm almost learning sign language a little bit throughout this film which is part of a whole nother conversation of man i feel like i need to learn sign language in my daily life because it's it's not fair that people shouldn't be able to communicate with me you know if yeah. if they are deaf and you can see the it's definitely it's definitely talking about that it's definitely talking about the difficulty in communication when you lose your hearing um because it, it, you just can't you can't do it easily if you don't know how to speak sign language well it's interesting because the the rapidity with which he learns sign language mm-hmm. shows that it's it's a capable skill that someone can learn or at least the parts of sign language he learns yeah and the way he goes about learning but throughout that whole process we keep getting bounced back in from sound and out of sound right so like we're yeah. at a dinner table and at that dinner table we have his perspective and then we also have the sound of what dinner sounds like when you have a group of deaf people Mm -hmm. in conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Like what does conversation sound like to people who can't hear? Yeah. Well, we, what it sounds like is what they're seeing. We can't quite understand that because he can't. But then when we jump out for us, we understand we can't follow it because we're hearing. Right. And we're not inside that circle of communication that's taking place. Yeah. Yeah. And that was another one of those moments where you're in the perspective and then we cut outside to a wide shot of everything and it happens a lot in the film over and over again and it's every time it happens it's powerful for Mm -hmm. me every every single time um yeah you know our our um kind of our mentor figure joe um right who who can speak but can't hear he reads lips too right? right and so he can have a what feels like a very normal conversation with somebody who can hear 
who can't if if they if they don't speak sign language. Yeah, or, or traditional conversation. Right. Like a traditional so not conversation. Using the word normal. Normal. So yes. Apolog- I think Joe apologize. would be uncomfortable yeah, yeah. with that word. Yeah. I I don't want to say the word normal. If You're we're right. talking it's, about Joe, Joe would be uncomfortable with the word normal, normal. Right. Right. Because what's normal to him is the way he's communicating. Right. 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 And a lot of what Joe is trying to do is, and he says this at the end of the film, is like we in the deaf community don't see being deaf as a handicap. Right. You know, and you have to, and that's kind of his lesson to Ruben is like, you have to learn how to be deaf. Right. That's the only thing he writes on the board. Like everybody has chores or homework or something that they have to do. And Ruben's is learn how to be deaf. It's just accepting who you are now. And when you accept yourself, when you love yourself for who you are, then you'll be able to move on and live a happier, a better life. Uh, right. Because you can see there's clear, there's people who are clearly happy in this community right. that they're in, right? Regardless of if they can hear or not. So it's just getting him to move on. Yeah, I, I want to say too, I, th- I think that the, s- the quality of the sound and the changes in the sound mm-hmm. were fascinating. So like it isn't just there's deafness and hearing. There's yeah, yeah, a yeah. whole s- sort of range of sound from mm-hmm. cochlear implant sound to deafness to becoming deaf to what it feels like to feel sound, like when they're doing that drum circle, right? Yep. To what it feels like to um, uh, be in dead silence, like complete silence. And we see, yep. we experience all of those, um, those we, we experience with Ruben yeah. each of those sounds. There's a lot of range of yeah. deafness, right? And and so it's not it, this is not a simple conversation of a light switch going on and off. Mm-hmm. It's about a decay or broken sound and and yeah. what it means to to be there and his frustration, right? Mm-hmm. Because he is trying to interpret sound that we know is uninterpretable because we're hearing what he's not hearing. Right. Like when you're talking about the buzzer sound. Right. Uh, but also when he's trying to play along with uh, Lou with the, after he can't hear and yeah. how things are breaking down, but he right. doesn't even quite know that. Yeah. You know, that there, we, we are so inside his sound perspective uh, when we need to be that we understand the range of problem or the range of struggle, maybe is mm-hmm. a better word, that he's going through. Yeah. And the sound design is just so well done because you're getting a different like bass tone or a different reverberation almost based on like what it is that's happening. So when he's losing his when he's losing his hearing after it happens the first time, the first time I think we really see him do his morning routine again after he's gone deaf. You're you're seeing the coffee pot and you're seeing the uh, the blender and all those things he did in the first sequence, we're now hearing it how, how he hears it right. without sound. And it's a different tone. It's a different, it's a different bass tone. It's a different mid-range tone. It's as if they sucked all the treble out of his hearing, you right. know, uh, which and I guess when you're talking from a, from a sound design perspective, that's kind of, I guess, how you'd go about muffling all this noise. Um, right. And we get the flip side of that when the implants are in. You lose all bass tone, right? And you only have these this high end treble it is sound, really and it's like this range, pinging right? of. Um, and that is that is almost more uncomfortable to me than the the bass 
bass tones, right? That are happening in the, in the beginning. Yeah, I think so. And I think deliberately there's a sense that this is a wrongness. Like this isn't really hearing. Mm -hmm. It's not it. And the thing he does is he thinks he's hearing. Yeah. So he, he continually answers people with, yes, I can hear you, but we know he can't because right. we're sitting inside yeah. his head, unable to completely understand what's being said. I love the fact that when he walks through that party with the cochlear implants in, that that it's just noise. noise. The world noise. is noise, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's for even as an audience for us, it's overwhelmingly noisy after everything we've just experienced with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has to leave that segment of the party to to clear his head because it's just because he can't filter. Right. You can't filter noise. Right. You can't filter the noise with those implants because they don't—they're not ears, right? You know, you can't focus your tech. tech you're, he's like a cyborg in a sense with these things in, right? Because you, right. you can't, and you—but you don't have any control over that mm -hmm. technology. You have to go to a specialist to adjust, right, and tune them, and tune them up. You can't do that on the fly there, so you can feel the overwhelm. And this—I mean—the film followed a very uh, predictable structure, right? Which was fine. I didn't think it needed to be anything different. It's not pretending to be anything different. It's not trying to, um, you know, break story structure down in a, in a new way. And I knew where the film was going the second, you know, he was deaf. And the mm -hmm. second that he wrote on the board, like, you need to learn to be deaf. I knew where the film was going. We can talk about that later. But the other thing I loved is that they, I don't believe there is any closed captioning or any subtitles, sorry, any subtitles in this film. Do you remember any subtitles happening at all? So, I, you know, I want to say yes, but not until oh, not until he, he could right, not until so, there was a full conversation in sign language that where in the field. He's walking in the right. field with the kids. It's when he's when we are so in his perspective that we don't until we can un, until he can understand sign language. You're right. We can't understand. That's when it was, language. and that was I think one of the only times it. Mm -hmm. once 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 we were in his perspective and he could understand what he was seeing and he was under he was able to speak in sign language that's when we were able to understand the conversation going on yeah and that's why yeah. joe's yeah need as a as a character the need to have him in a speaking role is so important mm -hmm. because he needs to be able to give us a feeling of what we're i'm going to say legitimately here normality like what we're going to think is normal so that we fall into the trap uh -huh. of not understanding his deafness and so we can get caught by that so and he, he also is required for communication purposes because yeah for, to a non-deaf non-sign read sign language non-lip reading audience it's very important for us to be able to have story points presented yeah. and he becomes that and it, certainly that doesn't mean that that role isn't much more than that but it's certainly filling that yeah ability for us to understand who there, so. You know, it's it's funny that I I forgot that there was even subtitles in this film because there's a whole other conversation with uh, Ruben and the woman that sells all his stuff for yeah, him. Yeah, right. That's in that's sign a completely in sign language in subtitles, and this is the power of sub subtitles too. Is like the people people often hate on the subtitles. People often don't want to watch movies with subtitles, but I you forget they're there. You completely forget they're there, right. and that actress who got the tattoo and who Jen, it's Jen. Her name's the okay. Her name is Jen. And you didn't hear her speak once in the film. Nope. But she has distinct personality and voice. And, you, and voice. You right. can hear her speak when you're reading her subtitles. Mm -hmm. And 
one, that's, she's a good actress, and two, I just I think everybody who doesn't like subtitles needs to force themselves to sit down and watch ten movies with subtitles that are just completely either in uh, international films or films that are about you know uh, people who are people who are deaf and mm -hmm. you need to you need to just sit down and watch these films because they're going to open your eyes to that culture or to that way of living and you're going to realize after those ten films that you can sit and watch a movie with subtitles and you're going to experience something that you've never experienced before and it's going to feel normal by the end of it. Right, the voice on the screen blends with the language and yeah. you can, you can mend, meld the two. And so I don't know what her voice sounds like really, but right. I do know what her what her speech sounds right. like. I can understand. You understand that. a speech pattern, you get a, uh, a sense of personality through. Yeah, I think the same thing with saying. Diane, with the... the um, I mean, all, everyone in that circle, that wildly diverse circle mm -hmm. of people working through the, because this is not just about deafness, right? There's there's an addiction component here that's present in this world too, right? Right. So like there's, these are not just, it's not just a place full of deaf people. This particular place he's at is the portion of this facility or not facility, like world, this, this, mm -hmm. this space where deaf people are living together and, and learning for people who have addiction issues. Right. And so that the, the AA meeting or the NA meeting, that circle when they're in is so diverse, it really does let us, and we, I, I know what those people sound like, the people sitting around the table having a meal together, I understand their voice, which yeah. is like extraordinarily well done. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was beautifully done. And uh, even, you know, there's a second, there's a second group of people in this film that Ruben interacts with, and that is, those are the, a group of children, right? And a teacher, and that speaks a lot about who he needs to become again. He needs to become a kid, right? He needs to just let everything go. He needs to just relax, to give it all away, right, for a second, and just try and learn again as if he was a kid. Mm -hmm. Like you're starting from zero here, and it's okay. You know, nobody is expecting you to be anything that you're not. Like you have to learn with us and you have to get to grow up again, essentially. And it is intimidating walking, I guess, walking into a classroom full of kids and having no idea what anything is. And you can see the distinct personality too when he writes his name yeah. on, on the board. And Riz, well, and the Riz kids love just, him, right? Yeah, right. Like the kids love the metal guy coming yeah. into the space. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know what's interesting too about all of that is that there's this tease the movie does with us with Ruben uh -huh. is we think he's getting better and then oh, yeah. we realize he's not like we right. we think he's making the right choices because he's living those choices out like I don't think he's BSing the drum circle I don't think he's BSing the game with the kids outside no, no, no. I think he is in relationship with these people uh, well I think I think when we see him in those moments like he's fully enjoying life but he's always trying to get back to hearing again. And, and that, that is the brokenness and the, like the tragedy of the story, mm -hmm. which he needs to realize after he's done it. But the, and the, the, the film makes him go through the process and give up everything yeah. to do this process. And I, I think you know we see him over and over again, he goes in and looks on the computer, right? He goes yeah. and he checks the computer out. And boy, was I unhappy that he was doing that. Uh-huh. You know? Well, because you hear strict instruction in the beginning right. from Joe that, look, we, no contact with the outside world. I'm taking your keys. I'm taking your phone. 
you don't have access to a computer. You don't, you're not, you're, and you think he's making it. Like mm-hmm. you feel like he's sitting. He's starting to write it in this book. He's, mm-hmm. And then he keeps going back and he just can't give up that outside world. Yep. Um, and, and, and ultimately is behaving criminally in this environment. Like yeah. he's betraying the environment yeah, he's before be, he He's does betraying trust with yep. not just Joe, but with everybody else who's yep. putting in the work. Mm-hmm. And um, this is like, I mean, this movie is a classic as far as story structure goes. I mentioned that earlier, but also in character arc and development, right? This is, this is, this is a, um, if I were teaching a film class and maybe, I mean, you, you do some of this. If I were teaching story structure in a film class, this is potentially a film I would use because it hits every beat mm-hmm. and it clearly emphasizes the concept of a character's wants versus needs. And we see Ruben here whose want is to be able to hear again, but his need is to learn how to be deaf and accept his new life. Right. Right. And that you can find happiness and joy in your new life. And uh, Joe talks about that stillness. And we see that stillness a lot throughout the film in in transitional cuts that happen, right? You're seeing grass blow in the wind or you're right. seeing uh, trees or you're mm-hmm. seeing um, shots of Paris um, or France, I guess, wherever he is in France. I think it was Paris, but... Um, you're seeing all those moments and we're introduced to that stillness throughout the film. It's just Ruben has never accepted it until the end. And you know, that's where he's going. You know, he has to accept the need. He has to realize that the only way he's going to, to, uh, to move on is if he searches for his want and realizes what he needs. Right. And so it's just a classic, uh, example of a wants versus needs moment in a in a film Mm -hmm. um and it was done very very well and um same with the story structure we're seeing his normal comfortable life before we're launched into this upside down world you know flipped on its head and this thing i mean the movie falls beat for beat almost almost to a t as far as timing goes when things are happening i mean you know me like even in in the snyder cut i'm i'm able to kind of guess a little bit where these things I was able to guess like exactly where we are in this film based on the story structure Mm -hmm. because it follows so clearly um so yeah this if you are someone out there who is who's a filmmaker and wants to just study story structure this is the film right here this is it yeah and and the use of sound and visuals to tell that oh yeah to to layer on top of the story structure goodness yeah um I want to talk about the opening scene a little bit Mm -hmm. uh and just because uh just to a note, I guess. Uh-huh. Th- this is a film that looks independent, like completely independent. Yeah. It's so weird that it's in like an Amazon original book, or at least that's where it's Well, they bought right? it, I believe. Like Amazon bought, bought it, right? it yeah. Because it's, it is definitively, it's the, those, those opening scenes of the metal, the two-person metal band playing. Yeah. Uh, I know that world a little bit, or at least the world of indie independent music. Yeah. And the blackness of the world that they were in just felt like this was a, this is a independent cost saving right, right, right. technique. And as the film opens up and we get out of that space, it's very different, but the, it feels like there's lots of choices being made that are about cost efficiency, you know, scenes taking place in, uh, that, that camper, right? Like it's yeah. in this remote area this farm area like all sorts of things to get us out of i did i did read somewhere that the director was very cost efficient darius martyr was very 
cost efficient. Apparently, he only allowed two takes per scene. Well, that's amazing because some yeah. of the work is pretty it's good. It's pretty spectacular. But the, yeah. it, it, he, he let those actors act, though. But we can get mm -hmm. to that. I just want to say it looked... It didn't look cheap. It looked cost efficient, and it looked highly mm -hmm. independent. And yeah. but the film, once we get past those opening rock sequences, never feels that way again. Right. It we're in big, open, broad. It feels cinematic. It's beautiful yeah. to sort of watch. Yeah. It doesn't feel that way in the the beginning. It did, and it was interesting because as a person watching, I, I felt like I'm like uh, I know this kind of movie and then I I said no I don't like I, I yeah. this is this is moved to a different place yeah. w um not wasteful of money not ex extravagant but certainly Well everything felt very intentional as far yeah. as even even trying to save money in in a cost effective with the venue that they were in the beginning I didn't I didn't even think it from your perspective that it felt like cost effective but I'm like I feel like I've been in a venue like that where it's just this dark pit and right. you have these people on stage and uh that, that's just how it is that music man in the beginning was like i something else i did not like that <laughs> the metal they were playing i've listened i listened to a lot of metal in high school and uh i can do metal i can do screamo i can do even metal down to like uh metallica metal but theirs was like ah cr almost cringy metal for me i didn't like it there's such a it i mean it's an interesting pairing right like yeah. what what the band is is a really interesting like independent band uh -huh. and they're touring right and they're touring and right. i loved the merch table thing it mm -hmm. was so real to what that yep. world is like you yep. know it's this independent well, even with the other band right, right. The, the the other woman there with the the haircut and the the shirt like it was just i was just dropped into this exactly. indie music world yeah and uh, we don't ever go back to it. No, but you know, we talked about this, and we talked about uh, Minari that mm -hmm. the you know when you can do something and tell us where we are, who we are, and mm -hmm. what's happening in a, in a in frame, clarity right? in a couple frames, it's great. And that's a sequence where I know that space, I understand it, I know who these characters are, yeah, I know why they're here, and it it's done so that the so that Ruben can float on top of that as a character, right. living through it. But if those moments aren't clear, mm -hmm. we don't understand the significance of his loss. Right. Or at least what he believes is his loss, the transition. You know, they talk about him going back to drugs, right? Right. But we don't ever see that really, right? Like, yeah. we, don't, we don't see that happen. And we don't see it so much that when Lou leaves him, right, mm -hmm. she leaves him to go. She trusts that he's going to do the thing. Yeah. As opposed to... I got to take you because you're doing drugs, drugs now. Right. We we don't. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the film ha has him at risk, but it doesn't have him addicted, so that mm -hmm. the thing he's addicted to is normal life, right? Not the not the not drugs that become this sort of secondary story. Yeah. And now we're about rehab. Yeah, it is a rehab because he's trying to be protected mm -hmm. from where he could go. But the story's about his addiction to. Right to like real life. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. To to normal hearing. What he would say would be. What normal he would say hearing. normal hearing. Right. Right. Uh, and to and to the sound of metal to some extent because we learn a lot about what has happened in their relationship over time too. Mm -hmm. um, and they're a couple who's in love. Like I love. I I really. Yeah. Love the fact that we get to see them as people that they're dancing to 1940s music, that right. it's breaking stereotypes mm -hmm. as well as enforcing some stereotypes. Right? Yeah, right. They, they, there's, there's certain things that you see from the characters that you would expect from somebody who is in a metal band. 
and whether it's the t-shirts they're wearing to what their arms might look like right, right you know these stereotypes you might expect but the second they cut to them dancing and laughing with each other in the uh with the 1940s music playing you're like whoa this is like not the music i expected you to be listening to in this rv right and he's giving her a smoothie like there's all this like charming, yeah. romantic can i say the contrast between the first car ride we have with them where they're talking and enjoying each other's company to the second one when they're driving to the facility is just heartbreaking oh it's so it's, it's and so well directed mm -hmm. like that's why when you say two takes that's amazing to me yeah it uh, it just it hurts to watch mm -hmm. you know their life all of a sudden you can't travel together because it's it's difficult you can't do you can't i mean i guess you can sign and drive at the same time but it's probably very difficult to sign and and drive you know at the same time i don't know if you should be i don't know how, how driving works when you're deaf but well, there's yeah a, there's a risk to it for sure and, and certainly the conversation will be difficult and yeah. if we watch their relationship break down because of some effort at normalcy because he's trying to keep it normal right mm -hmm. she wants it to be what it is she's very open to this transition yeah and and caring for well, him she, he, she fully cares for him right? right so much so that she's willing to stop the tour she's gonna drop everything she would i mean she would have moved into that compound with him if she were allowed to right right um and uh we see a very different side of her later. I think there could be a full second movie made on her perspective oh, yeah. on this and see what she goes through in France and reconnecting with her father. And she clearly has family issues, right? There's right. a whole second lose story somewhere. And well, that's the thing, right? Like she, she, so when she first appears, uh, he's, you know, he's going deaf and um, he's covered in tats. And, mm -hmm. you know, you know, there's this, this, and I look at her and I immediately saw the sort of cutter behavior on her arm. Like yeah. was, and it, the thing the movie does that's so smart is it's just subtle. Mm -hmm. She's got a, she has an issue. Like her, her, her life isn't okay. And, yeah. but it doesn't, we don't like zoom in. Like we don't do some kind of crash zoom in on her arm and we're mm -hmm. like, oh, look, so she, cause she's a cutter. Yeah. So that later when they talk about her scratching, right? Yeah, we know the significance of it because we've seen it. Right. But the movie doesn't make it about that. It that's really good filmmaking when yeah. you have all those things that are present. Yeah, but they're not replacing the story. They don't become. I there was never an, there buttons. was never an exposition dump on on let's let me tell you background on who this are. Mm -hmm. it, it's always let me show you a little bit about who this is, and what stresses them out. Right, because we see her scratching. Uh, when she's mm -hmm. stressed and the second we see them at the end in bed and they're talking about the tour she starts scratching again and and if it doesn't click with you then like you've missed something right and i she started scratching i was like oh my gosh she does not want to go back on tour she can't like this is not the way her life needs to go yeah and she's in a healthy space now right whether she wants to admit it or not and she needs to stay here and ruben gets that and it doesn't say that their relationship before was bad it, the uh -huh. movie doesn't right. want to say that. It's just that people are moving forward and life changes. So life changes, it yeah. doesn't, they can still love each other mm -hmm. and have to be apart. Well, and that's, and, and the act of Ruben leaving is an act of love yep. because he knows that if he stays around to talk about this with her, she is going to, to still do whatever mm -hmm. he wanted to do. Right. She's not going to put herself first and him leaving is him putting her first as much as it hurts to do that right but it also gives him the ability 
once he gives that up mm-hmm. to be still, right? Mm-hmm. And so as we end the film, you, it stops him from because what he's wanted the entire time is to return to this normalcy mm-hmm. of playing in a band with Lou, right? It wasn't even just playing music. It was being with her right. and communicating with her. And once he cuts that cord with her and moves on, he's now able to find a new life that is the new normal for him, right? right? He's not tied down to having to communicate with somebody who can't sign back. And, he, and he's able to pull off those those implants, right, yeah. implants, right? Mm-hmm. Which are expensive, like the money yeah. he used. Yeah. And that surgery is actually pretty traumatic mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And you realize sort of, we dive into a, a violence against him mm-hmm. that is, th- that he thinks is good, right? We mm-hmm. know it's not gonna be okay. Right. Um, because it's the wrong choice. Like it's clearly the wrong choice. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and. Yeah, it is just a powerful moment when he rips those things off at the end and it just cuts to silence. Yeah. Right? It really is. Like he's making the choice to be deaf. The thing that Yeah. That, the thing that he needed to do this entire movie. Yeah. He's finally made the decision and you can feel it too. You can feel the overwhelm of what he's hearing. And we all knew right at the party. By the party scene, hopefully all the viewers know that like he needs to take these things off. Right. And I at least I felt like man he misses the silence like he misses being deaf right now which is such a weird thing to think about right like because right now you and me I would never ever wish that because I haven't experienced that right I have I would right. I, I'm not going through you know what Ruben went through to try and learn to sign and learn to live this new normal life not having hearing it scares the crap out of me to think that I could lose my hearing or that I could lose my eyesight or something like right. that but he actually missed not hearing. He mi- he missed the silence of it all. Um, and I think there's something to be said about him being actually a morning person too, right? Because Joe talks to him about, you, you're an early riser. Like, right. You wake up in the morning like 5.30? It's like, no, no, 5 o'clock. Like 5 o'clock, I'll have a donut and some coffee for you and a notebook ready. Like Ruben actually likes the stillness and the silence and being by himself for a couple hours. Like nobody's awake at 5 in the morning. Right, and we watch him do that when he's... Mm-hmm. Make, making breakfast right yeah right. he does that he does that in the morning when he's doing push-ups and making breakfast right. and there's this coffee. whole sequence he's a scene in, yeah right and so he actually likes the stillness and the silence but the lack of hearing is so uncomfortable for him that he can't focus in the in that moment and his whole world gets flipped upside down later on when he can hear again and he can't find that silence because mm-hmm. it's just this overwhelming noise so there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff happening in this film that is just it's it's and you can't break it down analytically. It's all feeling, you know, when you watch it. Oh no, you're you're. We can talk about all the ideas after the fact, but while you're watching the film, the film is taking you on this very intimate journey, and mm-hmm. we're so deep inside the the worldview of of Ruben and ultimately some of the people around him. Yeah, that that we're just on an emotional ride. I I want to talk about Joe a little bit in reference to that because I think that you bring up. I think that like. Uh, uh, what's his name? Hold on. Uh, Riz Ahmad, right? Or Ahmed. Yeah, Riz, Riz Ahmed, Ahmed. Yeah, is extraordinary, right? Like yeah. an unbelievable performance. But that Paul, I guess it's Rocky, Racy, Racy. Paul, um, Paul Racy, Paul Racy, Joe, Paul who yeah, plays Joe, Joe. Who plays Joe? Yeah, and he's a character actor you've seen on mm-hmm. twenty-five episodic 
television shows. Like right, he's right, right. a regular actor and that means he's a, like a good working actor, mm-hmm. but we may not have ever seen him able to develop the scope of a performance. And yeah, his performance in this is extraordinary. Like, I, uh, I'm a yes or no. He could win best actor, whatever, right? Sure. Yeah. But, but Joe is the. I mean, he is the best supporting actor I've seen this year. Paul Racy is, I mean, that that performance was astounding. Yeah. The scene where he tells Ruben he has to leave is one of the it richest. Hurts. Yeah. It does. And it's also, we, because it isn't a straight line, right? Yeah. Um, we're talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier right now in another version of this podcast that's running on the same feed. Yeah. And there's nothing like that in there. Like, they're all right. acting and are doing their job, but everything is what it is. Like, it's, mm-hmm. people are either being deceitful or true like there's a line and there's yeah. very little subtext it's just what it is yeah here everything in that performance is moving he's he's from embrace we feel his pain we feel his anger mm-hmm. we feel his need his protectiveness over that community is palpable and yeah. it and none of it feels cheap and none of it feels melodramatic yeah and that I mean, I just thought that performance was spellbinding. There's a there's a moment after he tells him to leave, right, where where Ruben gets up and walks out, and he breathes this like, it's not it's not even a sigh of relief. It's like a he 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 finally expelled the energy he had mm-hmm. to 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 say those words because they're not words he ever wanted to say to Ruben because he cares deeply for Ruben. Yeah, and he you hear him get angry, but he doesn't rage at him. Mm-hmm. Right? There isn't this isn't a scene where he starts throwing cups and smashing things. Right. Uh, which we see Ruben do, right? Ruben mm-hmm. loses his mind around it. Yeah. We know that that Joe has that still place that he is fighting for. Like he's fighting it. Yeah. But that doesn't remove the fact that he can be angry or sad or mm. broken or whatever. And but his protectiveness of the people he's with and of their integrity is just, it's so beautifully done. Yeah. And he, and he doesn't, it's, it's a role that in any other hands or in many other films is like cheap and yeah. stereotypical. Right, right. And this is not that at all. Yeah. No, you're right. It hurts extra because he asks him to kind of stay and become this, I don't know, this person who could help with the kids right. and who could he, he you mean a lot of things to a lot of different people around here and then he has to tell him to leave and it, it just hurts extra because you can see that there's potential for Ruben but Ruben is like shooting himself in the foot by doing the surgery that he doesn't need but thinks he well thinks and he's he needs, done right? it right that's the thing and he does it. it behind their backs yeah and so when he returns with that hat on mm-hmm. it is that betrayal like he he starts to talk to him and he asks him for money and oh, when he asks him for money, it's too. It's just so much. So bad. And, and then he pulls right. that, that hat off, and yeah. it's it's just a he just break Joe's faith yeah. that he has to maintain because he's caring for this large group of people. Right. And you hear him, you know, he, he makes the twist, and he doesn't want to do what he has to do because he still wants to save this one person. Mm-hmm. And there's an underlying faith to Joe that yeah. is very strong in the story too and i think that it's another one of those places where the 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 screenplay and the director decide not to hammer us with jesus or with mm. 
um, in the same way we don't hammer us with the cutting, that there's a man of faith here. There's something in this guy. He's living, he's living, he's going down a path that is, uh, of, that has some spiritualized nature to it. Right. But we don't need to know any of the details. We just need to, because it's his business. It's his story. Yeah. And that's not where we are. And I thought that was really beautifully done as well. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, he comes in with his beanie on and it just rips him up and uh, you can see the shift. Uh, and Joe says at one point in that conversation, like, you look and sound like an addict right now, even though like he's clean, like he's not on drugs, he's not right. doing anything um, that he's not supposed to be doing other than getting these implants because uh, he's asking him for money, right? Like, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back. Because right. um, he's addicted to trying to return to this normalcy like you like you uh, mentioned before. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a compelling, complex story that is just shot beautifully. The sound is beautiful. The just everything is even the production design, the, the locations, the co- the costuming, the costume design. Oh, the is, costume design is so smart. Yeah. I went across the board. Yeah. Like everyone's in clothing they need to be in. Yeah. And every none of it feels like a person. Costume. Every single person has a personality based on their mm-hmm. clothing. Even the kids are like. Even the kids. Yeah. It, so it's just so well done. Um, I'm trying to think of some other stuff you want to talk about with this film. No, I mean, I, I think we've talked about the big arc of it. The mm-hmm. The key is that this film is hits every single check mark we need to, to hit. Yeah. So the storytelling is great. The mm-hmm. dialogue itself is written well. The yeah. Uh, the filmmaking is thoughtful like the, the cinematic nature of it is thoughtful so we talk about like you if you give someone a really good camera you can make something that looks good yeah but this doesn't just look good it's it's obviously purposeful things yeah. are chosen there's there's lots of the camera movement or yep. position or handheld or on sticks is all chosen around what the story is trying to we say. talk about that a lot it was the, the intent the purpose of the motivation behind things whether it's from light to camera movement to sound everything in this in this film is very purposeful uh it's it's definitely made by somebody who understands the craft of filmmaking and understands how to uh, not manipulate your feelings but understands what you're going to be thinking when you see a shot like this next to the shot that that came before it right um the, they understand he understands what is happening with the camera with the sound and how it's going to make you feel mm-hmm. so that and this is i think his debut film darius martyr's debut film from what he's I, screenwritten some other stuff as far as a directorial debut i think that's um yeah i mean he's the director of two films there's another one called loot from 2008 okay but it's a doc it's a doc okay so this is his his really First, his right his debut into uh into narrative right um yeah, he's done some uh, script writing. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, he clearly understands story. He understands the fundamentals of filmmaking, but he can use them to their highest ability to to make something uh, really powerful. So, I, I mean, I highly suggest this. I highly recommend this movie. It's I, I do, yeah. too. I think, too, this is another one of those where I would go to the, see it in a theater because I want to uh-huh. see how the sound functions in that big space. Yep. Like the the oppressiveness, like sound bar is all good. I could feel it here in my house, but in a theater with the rumble, right? I would feel like I'm trapped in his head. Well, and then when you lose that bass and you go up into that tinny, yeah, empty sound, it the the being in a big acoustic space, mm-hmm. this will be a fascinating experience. Yeah, and you know, on top of all of that, you have the independent film nature of this that deserves to be seen, mm-hmm. and actors who deserve the 
to what Absolutely. you watched, right? Yeah. And so there, there's not a part of this film that isn't worth the experience. Yeah, agreed. This is, this is definitely a film to see in theaters if you get mm -hmm. the chance to see it. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to return to theaters or not, but... No. It's going to go to art house theaters at some point because right. there's going to be a desire for this film to be heard in a big acoustic space. Yeah. But th they will be places like for, near us, the Bryn Mawr Film Institute, like sure, yeah. whatever whatever art houses survived the pandemic. Yeah. It, it's the kind of film that will play there for a weekend or a month. Right. With, with the goal of letting people like you and I go into a theater and mm -hmm. experience the They'll sound. randomly pop up. Right. right. And, yeah. and, you know, and, and, and there'll be someone who'll do a, a, a post, film conversation about sure. the film whether the kind of conversation we're having or a conversation just about deaf deafness or whatever right it, it'll be there and and i think that's so if you see that you should take advantage of that but for now i mean i would watch this film as, yeah. as soon as you can watch it and watch it again thanks for listening to this episode of the racking focus podcast we'd love for you to join in on the conversation by leaving us a message at anchor.fm slash racking focus podcast the link is in the description of this episode We'd love to feature you in the podcast and respond to your questions and thoughts in a future episode. And if you want to track all the films we watch and talk about, you can catch either of us at Letterboxd. Uh, you can find me there at John Doyle. And I'm at Josiah Blizzard. The links to our profiles are also in the description of this episode. We'd also love for you to leave us a review wherever you're listening. And we ask you to leave a five-star review because that helps people notice us. But you can leave whatever comment you want about us in the review. That way you can share your opinion and increase the conversation. Lastly, follow us on Instagram at Racking Focus Podcast, where we post screen grabs from some of our films we're watching and where we'll keep you updated on the episodes that are releasing week by week. If you are listening to an episode, we'd love for you to share a screenshot of that episode you're listening to and tag us in your story. Anything else to add, John? Nope, but I think Stephanie has something to say. Next on the podcast, the guys will be watching and reviewing May. Thanks for listening to the Racking Focus Podcast.